Hi, thanks for listening to C3 Hobart Online. If this message impacts you in any way, please don't hesitate to contact us. Thanks for listening. Great to be in church today, it really is. Um, what a fantastic uh, offering message from Pastor Vern. Thank, where is he gone? Thank you so much. Brilliant message. Over the last 10 days, I've, uh, I've noticed the, uh, the rhetoric around the, um, the rights and wrongs of Australia Day increased to, to levels of some significance. And, and maybe it's a type of noise that is required for us to have a conversation about this. The risk is, though, that Australia Day becomes neither a time to celebrate or lament. Rather, a point in the calendar where it's about who can get it across their view. And after a start to a new decade across our great South land that we will never forget, I believe that God is drawing us to a place where we will drop to our knees in prayer. A time where no matter our heritage, culture and upbringing, we will embrace the responsibility that is upon us now to pray for our land, to pray for all of our people, to seek forgiveness and make adjustments for any wrongs that we may have done, and to declare that Australia is the great south land of the Holy Spirit, a nation whereby Jesus reigned yesterday, today, and forever. Before we get into our scriptures, as you heard, today is very significant in that we get to say goodbye to our 10 a.m. service. And I want to just pause briefly and honour our founding pastors, Lucas and Annie Giacometti. <laughs> For having not just the vision, but the courage to birth this very service 25 years ago, right here in the heart of Hobart. A service that over the last 25 years, and that's a lot of services, has been foundational in helping introduce people to Jesus. A service where literally thousands upon thousands of people have made life-transforming decisions to say yes and amen. And so for every person that has served in some capacity, for every team that has served, for every prayer that has been given, for every, uh, every time that we have stood here for 25 years, we just want to stop and say thank you and well done. So last week I kind of uh, snuck in the start of a new series a week early because uh, I kind of had to go there. And it was the start of the series that we've called Balance. And I use the analogy of a seesaw, how when we are at the bottom, uh, we can spend our whole time looking up, wondering whether we will ever reach the top. And yet when we're at the top, we often become paralyzed with the fear of falling. And during the week, I was, I was, uh, I was reminded of a passage found in the book of Ezekiel, where, where the Ammonites laughed at the misfortune of others. As the temples were destroyed, there was no compassion for the people, only a sense of pride in the Ammonites. Ezekiel 25.3 said this, You cheered when my temple was defiled. 
You mocked Israel in her time of need and you laughed at Judah as she went away into exile. And this attitude angered God. There is a saying that comes from the Akan tribe in Ghana. And it says this, The lizard is not as mad with the boys who threw stones as it is with those who stood by and rejoiced in their misfortune. And Jesus said in Matthew 8, 34, Love your enemies, and in fact pray for those who persecute you. In that way you will, inta- in that way, you will imitate the perfect love of your Father in heaven. The balance for those who are hungry to find Jesus is not found in the pride we have when we're on the top of life, And it's also not found in the bottom when we have low self-worth. It is found in the way that we do the journey with others. And as a church, we're proud of that is a culture that is very rich rich and deep here. Is that we don't look across and see those who are on top of the seesaw and those who are on the bottom. Yes, we celebrate and yes, we pray with and support. But what we do is that we walk alongside people. Is that we reach people when they come in the door and meet them where they are at. Because ultimately on this season of life, we will all be somewhere on the faith journey. To be honest, some days we go up and down on the faith journey. And so what we do, what has been built into us over the last 25 years, a culture that we have is that we walk the journey with people no matter where they're at. So if you've come in here today and maybe you're just walking along the rivulet, maybe you you came to playgroup during the week, maybe you had a coffee out in the cafe, Maybe there was something inside of you this morning that that sort of said, you've got to go to church and you don't know why. Our prayer today is that you feel welcomed, is that you feel loved. No matter whether you're at the top or at the bottom or somewhere in between, that you feel embraced by people. I've actually said to our welcome team, those who meet you on the front door, and it just so happens that Graham, the most welcomey welcomer in the world, was out on the front door today. But I've said to our welcome team that we should be the most welcome. He just gave someone a hug out there as a, out the front door. He can't help himself. That we should be the most welcoming place in Hobart, right? Why should someone go into Harvey Norman or McDonald's or somewhere else and feel more welcome than they are in the church? I've said to our team serving the cafe, serving the coffee, that we should strive to do the best coffee that we can do. We should strive to do things with excellence, but what we should be doing is we should be doing it in order that those can feel welcomed and can enjoy being in church. Turn with, me in the, turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. And if you're looking for a reading plan, which I encourage you to do uh, during this series, uh, take the book of Matthew. There are 28 chapters in the book of Matthew, and there are 29 days in February this year. Did you know that? I'm doing a wedding on the 29th of February. That's kind of cool, right? That's very cool. When do they celebrate? 
every four years. That's a cheap way of doing it, isn't it? That's really intelligent. Why didn't we do that, honey? It's 28 chapters in Matthew, 29 days in February. I encourage you, read a chapter a day. Grab a Bible buddy and say to them, me and you, we're going to read a chapter a day, we're going to write some stuff down and we're going to tell each other what we got out of it. The reason I say Matthew is because Matthew wrote to a very Jewish crowd. And many of the stories we find in the book of Matthew and the Gospels speak to the imbalance we find between religion and Jesus' love. You see, when Matthew wrote, it was, it was thought that the Christian church was at the very crossroads of what they do, not unlike where we are today. In 2016, we got the results of the census and it clearly indicated that more people than ever are turning away from faith and subsequently the church. And this was a trend, I spoke on this last year sometime, this was a trend that has been seen for 100 years but exponentially has grown over the last 30 years. And I believe that a great deal of that is because people have struggled to understand what the church represents. And so therefore, and we're not talking church, I'm talking the big C church here, the wider community. And so our response as a church over the last 30 years, and for those I've never met before, I was raised in the pews, I grew up in the, in the pews, I've got 45 years of doing life in churches, from a Baptist church to the, the Brethren's to uh, a South African Pentecostal church that we had in the Middle East, a little bit of everything in between. And when I'm talking about the church, I'm saying the big church here. But our response was, as we saw the numbers declining, was to bring the hype. Because hype attracts. For those who are cricket fans, it's a little bit like cricket. Test cricket was dying. On Australia Day, cricket, you know what I'm talking about? Test cricket was dying. I'm a purist, I love test cricket. But what, the, what the, those in charge did is that they thought to themselves, well, let's create this colour and this shorter game because our attention spans are shorter. And so we've got this, this game we call T20. They're now starting one, call, uh, which is just a 10-over game. You pay the same amount of money to go, but it kind of feels like you're getting ripped off a little bit. But the whole thing about it, if you've been down to Blundstone Arena or any of these, is it's all about creating a hype. There's music and there's, there's Colonel Sanders on the thing, there's fire, there's, there's big hits, there's all sorts of stuff. There's food, yes, Marcella. You see, hype attracts people. And the reality is, though, is that someone will always do hype bigger and better than you. What is hype for you today is going to be beaten by somebody else tomorrow. But what I have found in this time is that no matter the hype we do, no matter the things that we try to do to this, we are with a generation that is hungry for hope. You see, a community of people have experienced religion and they are now desperately craving relationship. 
If you are new to C3 Hobart, our, our vision is to reach people who are on a journey to faith, no matter where they are, and to build strong followers of Christ. The scripture I want to look at in Matthew 12, I'm using the NLT today. And it says this, At about that time, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, so they began breaking off some heads of grain and eating them. But some Pharisees saw them doing, do that, and they protested, Look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Jesus said to them, Haven't you read the scriptures, what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God and he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. And haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priests on duty in the, in the temple may have worked on the Sabbath? I tell you, there is one here who is even greater than the temple. But you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture. I want, to show, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. I once heard it said that the devil was walking along with one of his companions. And they saw a man ahead of them pick up something that was shiny and looked very important. The inquisitive companion asked the devil, what did he find? To which the devil replied, he picked up a piece of truth. Doesn't it bother you? That he found a piece of truth, asked a friend. No, not at all, said the devil, because it won't be long before he loses perspective and makes religion out of it. We can snigger, but in this passage, we find Jesus and his disciples walking through the grain fields. And it happens to be the Sabbath, and it happens to be hungry. They happen to be hungry. I was chatting with David VG during the week and he was quite perplexed because it seems that uh, the Margate faithful have found a liking for his apricot tree. But you see, David's apricot tree is in his front yard. Now, it's still officially on his land and so they are kind of stealing from him. But I kind of say it's open slather. If you've got an apricot tree in your front yard and they've got eight good apricots on it, Knock yourselves out. But in this story, the issue is not about stealing. This is not a black and white issue. This is not an issue where the Pharisees are coming in saying, well, you've actually broken the law of the land. And there is a difference between the law of the land of what we're talking, and we need to honor the laws of the land. But in this story, this issue is not about stealing. It's actually Levitical practice at the time was that the farmers were required to keep the edges of their crops uh, sort of unharvested so that the travelers and the poor could come and eat exactly what the disciples were doing at this time. This passage is about religion. Or more to the point, the Pharisees are upset because technically this violated one of the 39 what they called categories of action around the Sabbath. The Pharisees had 39 things that you couldn't do on the Sabbath. And it was based on God's law and also on Jewish custom. And, and they did this because their intention with this was the Sabbath should be a time of rest. And they took this from, from the Old Testament teachings. Now, I want to be really clear about this. I am all about rest. 
I am all about honouring a time of rest. In fact, I preached a message last year called God Blessed Rest. I am passionate about creating margin in your life so that when stuff happens, we don't rob from our family, our friends, our health, and most importantly, from God. And I also have an issue when we say that we have outgrown the intentions of what God said in the Old Testament. Because what, when people say that, what they're actually saying is it doesn't fit my lifestyle anymore, so I'll pretend that they aren't valuable. And what the Pharisees were saying was worth noting in the fact that it came from a time when, when God spoke to Moses because, because the people at the time had lost focus and stuck. But listen to the intention. So God laid down a series of laws that were designed to help them reconnect with him. Do not make idols, bring your first fruits, do not worship other gods, honor the feasts and celebrations, and for six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest, even during the plowing and harvest season you shall rest. When God was speaking to Moses, this was because the people had lost focus. They were wandering around in the wilderness and they had lost the focus of what God had done for them. Their balance was all over the place. At age 14, I made the district rep squad for football. I was super proud, took my little note home to my mum and dad. You have to get them to sign it and take it back. I never made the team, probably A, because I wasn't good enough, but B, because dad wouldn't let me train on a Sunday. Not because I couldn't. But in his wisdom, he knew that I had already sacrificed everything and that I had lost my focus on my relationship with God and with church. So my dad had to make a decision for me that in my wisdom as a 14-year-old, I couldn't make for myself. In his response, Jesus was not condoning disobedience to God's law. But he was asking the Pharisees to stop and consider what they actually valued. The point is that in their intent to be right, the Pharisees replaced compassion with rules of religion. They replaced hope with hype. They replaced love with fear. I was reading this interesting post during the week by a guy called Michael Faust. When you read Michael Frost's stuff, it's, uh, you've got to read it a few times. And he said that one of the cultural trends killing the church of today is what he calls, calls the death of civil discourse. And he said this, and I quote it, We live in a time of extreme polarization where it seems we have lost the inability to discuss anything especially theology and politics, without it devolving into conflict and name-calling. He goes on to say that we have lost our capacity for civil discourse because we have lost our love and respect for each other. And therefore, it is almost incumbent upon us to reject the way others do things in fear of looking weak, wrong, or insignificant. In 1 John, we read, it says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 
And I am proud of a church that is committed to walk the journey with people, even when they're dirty, even when they're broken, even when they come in here and they don't know what to do. We're not going to put religion upon them, but we're going to put an arm around them and say, we love you. It is vitally important that as a church, we have a core doctrine and beliefs to what, to what we do. And it doesn't give people a license to do anything. There's a, there's a very, very poor grace doctrine going around that I'm going to preach on it later on in the year because it's dangerous. There's a grace doctrine going around, especially coming out of the American universities at the moment, where you can do whatever you want because God will forgive you at the end of the day. Well, now we need to unpack that a lot more. That's not for now. So it doesn't give a license for people to do anything, but it means that we are going to meet people with love and compassion, not rules and regulations. And this is the love that the Pharisees missed. This is the balance that they missed in their lives. If we go back to the census results, I believe people are scared of the church, not because they don't know or afraid to try, but because in their eyes, the church is devoid of love. And that's exactly what Jesus reminded us when he said, haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house. This is the passage we just read, Matthew 12. He went into the house, verse 4, a house of God, and he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves. Verse 5, and haven't you read in the law that Moses, the priest on duty, worked on the Sabbath? Verse 6, I tell you, there is one here who is even greater than the temple, but you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. Thanks, Andrew. Your very intent of God's law is to promote love for God and for others. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples in John 13, verse 34, so I give you a new commandment. Love each other just as much as I have loved you. For when you demonstrate the same love I have for you by loving one another, everyone will know that you are my true disciples. You see the balance is in the way we love. The balance is in the way we embrace people. The balance is the way in the way we we put down the laws and we meet people where they're at. You see, I believe that when we embrace people as they walk in the door, when we love people as for who they are, that it gives us the opportunity to be able to speak into their life. And I find the more and more as I do this, that as you actually as able to do this, that people will open up to you And then you can speak areas of life into them. You can speak about areas that that may be troubling them. That you can talk to them about things, that that addictions they may have or, or, or broken parts that they want to try and fix. 
But it says first, we must love. For when you demonstrate the same love I have for you by loving one another, everyone will know that you are my true followers. I'll get the rest of the team up as I come to a close. I met with my oversight at the end of last year. And he said to me, three years in the job now, what do you find has been the most challenging thing? Is it standing up on stage? Is it, is it pastor, pastoring people? Is it leading? Is it counseling? He asked me all of these different things and there's challenges in all of the different areas we do. I've, I've spoken to you before about the, the nerves I have when I get up on stage. Not about standing in front of people, but that I honor the pulpit with everything I've got. But I said to him, the greatest challenge I find is the power of my words. It was the most difficult and unexpected challenge of this job. In that people will continually look to you for words. Well, he said that or that. And it's amazing what people will try and get their opinion out of you, what they'll try and get your, your thoughts on, whether it be from everything from the cable car to the height of, 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 of buildings in Hobart to, to Trump and his impeachment to our Prime Minister, everything in between. And I'm human, I have opinions. But as we finish, I want to share four principles or questions that he gave me that I've learned to apply when I'm faced with interpreting conversations or rules and having an opinion. And they're these. Does the rule serve God's purpose? Second, is it biblically based? The third, does it reveal God's character? And the fourth, does the rule help people get into God's family? And it's this last one that matters. Because for me, if it, if it passes these four wisdom walls that I call them, I kind of put it that I've got this situation here and if it passes the first one and then the second one and the third one, if it passes these wisdom walls, then I know I can speak because I'm speaking with a truth and a love. Because the intent will be based on what God's love is for us. And you see, when we demonstrate God's love for others, we will change more than opinions we can help change a person's eternity. At the end of the service, we will always provide an opportunity for people to get to know Jesus. I felt today as we close out this 10 o'clock service that we're going to worship just for a few minutes We've got a few minutes up our sleeve. We're going to worship for a few minutes. For those who 
where maybe God has spoken to you today and you've been stuck in religion or you've been stuck in rules and you want to experience that love of God. Or maybe you've been raised in the church like I was. I thank God for my parents. But church world for you has become about rules and regulations and you just can't get the balance right. And God's love has sort of been on the other side of this seesaw over here and you're reaching out for it. I want to tell you that this morning is an opportunity to embrace that. So we're not going to make a big deal on this because we're all going to be standing. We're going to sing, but we're going to have a prayer team here. And so if you just want to come forward and pray, then we would love to pray with you. It's not a forcing thing, but we want to give that opportunity to pray for you. We're going to worship. We're going to celebrate. Then we're going to fellowship because that's a great part of what we can do. We are a church that embraces people. We are a church that has a message of faith, hope, and love. So just as we sing, if I can just have some of the prayer team come out, and we'd just love to pray with you. Maybe it's just about praying for a rebalancing of where you're at. Maybe it's just about going, you want to step forward into what this God's love is. You've heard about it before, but you want to step forward into it, then just feel free to do so. There is no condemnation and judgment on an altar. It is actually your miracle moment with God. So let's just stand to our feet. Come with you on prayer. I'll just get our prayer team to come. Hi, thanks for listening to C3 Hobart Online. We hope you've enjoyed this message. If you'd like to know more, you can find us at c3hobart.org.au.